0: Church family, uh, happy Monday to you all. Um, this week we're actually going to do something slightly different. We're actually going to go through Exodus chapter six, and the part of Exodus chapter seven, particular uh, particularly chapter seven verse thirteen. And the reason why I want to do this is because after this we're going to go through the ten plagues that we see um, in Egypt, and I thought it would be a good break before we see all 10 plagues happen. But, uh, you know, as I was like studying this passage, I can't help but wonder and see how sometimes in life there are a lot of compromises going on. But when there are moments when, when people choose not to compromise that we see in public, that's actually very intriguing because it's so rare, um, but it's also exciting to see how far are they willing to go to, to not compromise. and. Uh, one particular instance uh last year in january or early january well i guess a little over a year ago uh there was a there was like a case between like a like a shooting uh going on somewhere in florida and they needed a way to get more information on these shooters and they found that the, these individuals were would use iphones um and they asked apple to uh, basically help them unlock the phone to bypass it. Um, this was something that was on all A- Apple devices since like 2014 or 2015, uh, that like they have this un- type of encryption that it, that if you, you know, basically you can't unlock it unless the person, the owner of it or someone that knows the password unlocks it for you. There's no way that they will open it for you. So much so that the FBI even asked Apple to go and like, hey, we're going to give you an order, like a warrant to go and unlock these phones. And they said, no, this is our policy. This is our rules. And you're not going to make us do it. And they actually went to court for it. And the only reason why this court case was dropped against Apple was because they found out the code. So, like, oh, hey, we got it now. We don't need this anymore. Um, and this is not an endorsement for any Apple phones. I love Apple products, but this is not an endorsement for it. I'm just saying that like, you know, if you choose to use phone, just know that at least they have this thing going on that can protect your identity, at least your or your phone. Now, in a world that has so much compromise, it really is upsetting when we think about people that do not compromise. And the only person in all of existence that is consistent in character and never compromises is the Lord. In fact, God is the only one that is perfect and he never budges he doesn't change his mind in a way that it affects his sovereign and divine will and he, he never compromises In one particular way he doesn't compromise is that when he says that there's going to be judgment or if there's some sort of consequence to sin it always happens right in genesis chapter three god told or even before that god told adam you do not eat from the fruit of uh, Knowledge of good and evil, and he said, "If you do, you will die." And what happens? They ate, and then they died. Genesis seven. This is um, uh, this is or Genesis seven. This is uh, Noah's ark. Right? He told them like there's going to be a flood. Noah built this ark, and uh, the people didn't listen. They chose not to. They learned, they're like you know, mocking uh, Noah. And then when the flood, when the rain came, uh, the only people that or that survived was Noah and his family. Uh, Genesis eleven. Uh, uh, this was again a. Uh, uh, people defying the Lord. God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and these individuals chose not to do it. Um, they defied God's command, and then the consequence of that is that they were their language was confused. In Genesis 19 was Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, God was going to destroy them for their sin, and God did not relent. Uh, there was only um, Lot and the two daughters that were able to escape, but he destroyed the place because he said what he set out to do, he will do. And if you're a non-Christian, this is this should be the most infuriating thing for you that God does not compromise, because when He doesn't compromise, that means that He won't change, and He doesn't. He's he, You can't sway Him any other way. And I know in our culture we hate that, or the culture hates that about the Lord, because uh, when He doesn't change, that means that like you can't do what you want. That if you do something that goes against the Lord, that there are going to be consequences for it. God's judgment is sure and is laid out clearly in the Scriptures. Um, and he warns us, though this is not like when God just, uh, just, just uh, you you won't be surprised when you go to hell if people deny the faith, when people reject the faith, it shouldn't be a surprise to them because God lays out exactly what he was going to do. He gives you exactly what you need for deliverance and salvation, and the people that rejects the Lord are going to get what they deserve. So he warns them before it happens, and there is always a way to escape. And because God is unrelenting in terms of keeping his word, consequences. Uh, people well, consequences of his words is going to take place. And then on the flip side, for the non-believers, terrifying, but for us, or not maybe, not maybe not even terrifying, but infuriating, because God doesn't compromise, but for us, we should be rejoicing knowing that our God doesn't compromise, which means we can, the God that we worship today is going to be the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So, when we get to Exodus chapter 6, this is uh, this is how God is going to basically shoot a warning shot. He's going to tell them, he's going to tell the Israels, they Israelites, and he's going to show the Egyptians that he is the one true God, and that when he gives a warning, and if they don't repent or relent from their ways, that what's going to happen will happen exactly the way it went. So let's look at chapter six. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of this land. Now if you recall, this is right after when uh, Moses and Aaron told the people, or they actually even, uh, they spoke with Pharaoh and they said, let my people go. And then they, and, uh, they, will, they even told them, if you don't do this, there will be pestilence and everything. And then Pharaoh saw that as like, oh, you're just trying to be lazy. You just want to go worship God, not work. So he gave them more work and more work. And this is right after in chapter four, when uh, God told Aaron and Moses that yeah, you got, God will deliver. Uh, God will talk to Pharaoh and God will deliver them and it didn't happen the way that uh, that they thought now this is all part of God's plan because he even said that he's going to increase the signs he's going to show them even you know, more miraculous things to show um, Pharaoh that uh, he is going to be humbled and that the Israelites like okay we could trust this Yahweh but in chapter 5 it was this kind of a slight disappointment they were like hey let our people go and then um, not only were they not let go these Israelites were beat up for it And Moses and Aaron were like, they weren't doubting, but they definitely complained to the Lord. Again, this is a time when they didn't even have the Torah. So, you know, give them some grace because they didn't didn't know what was going on. They just heard from a burning bush that they're going to be delivered. And then now they're getting beat up for it. But, And that's what's going on. He goes and tells, uh, Moses goes and tells Yahweh and God, like, hey, what are we supposed to do with this? I thought, why would you do this to your people? And then God said, he's going to act now. This is his warning shot. And in chapter six, verse one, it begins by saying he's going to put under compulsion. This, in our modern language, like he's going to twist their arm. He's going to make them do it. He's going to make the Israel, the the Egyptians, let uh, the Israelites go. And um, yeah, this word under compulsion means strong armed or strong hand. He's going to force their hand to let them go. Verse two. God said, so God spoke further to Moses and uh, and said to him, I am Yahweh, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and jacob as god almighty this is el shadad or the god of the mountain basically that he's this all-powerful god uh, but by my name yahweh i did not make myself known to them i also established my covenant with them to give them the land of canaan and the land that which they sojourn. now again this is really in, uh, interesting because when when in verse 3 when it says like god almighty or like uh God, Yahweh or God El Shaddai. This is actually something that God actually said back in Genesis. So it gives us connection in Moses's mind that this God that we're in, you know, he's heard about, uh, you know, God Almighty before, but this gives him a direct lineage to his to his ancestors. That hey, the, um, the God that came to that showed up to them, he described himself as God Almighty, and now this God is also calling himself God Almighty. So now it links him to the past, and we'll see this kind of linkage uh, toward the end of chapter six, when they go through a genealogy again, uh, verse four, I have I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they are sojourned Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage and have remembered my covenant. Um, again, this is um, God just reassuring them that He knows what He's doing; He cares about His people. Verse six, say therefore. To the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. Then I will take you for My people. This is God speaking in terms of electing language here, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, and who brought you out. From under the burdens of the Egyptians, I'll bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, uh, Yahweh is trying to assure Moses that uh, everything that I'm going to do is a promise from the past, but then they're scared because they're just like, hey, you told us this earlier and we got beat up for it. And this is uh, Moses' kind of response. Now the, now Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Again, this word unskilled in speech, he said this before. It's more like he's saying that um, it's the same excuse from the past, but this is basically him saying he's just not ready. Uh, like mentally he, and, and like emotionally he's not ready because he, he, he just saw his people get beat up. Verse 13, then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then in verse 14 to 25, there's going to be this like a genealogy. Now, and without listing all the names, I'm just going to highlight some of the important parts of this section. This seems so strange because like verse 13 seems like God's going to act. He said, hey, you go and tell Pharaoh what's going on. And this now seems like this is a weird kind of commercial break. Uh, but it's not actually not. It's actually intended to show you, and even the people there, that Moses and Aaron are tied back all the way um, to, to to Israel. That he is part of the Levitical line. In fact, in verse fourteen, it says he's a son of. He's, uh, it says that he's a son of Reuben. He has a household, the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn. This means that it like. Um, Aaron and Moses are actually descendants of from this line, Reuben, which Reuben, which is the first son of Israel, which means that they go, they are literally connected to the, the the person Israel, not just to the nation. There's a tie, there's a direct tie to them all the way back to the beginning, uh, when God made the covenants. Verse 15, what's really interesting when you see this list of names here is that there's a Canaanite woman. This, sh- this will show you that God, that Israel as a nation is not ethnically pure. And I've said this when we're going through the Ezra and Nehemiah series, that God is not racist. Uh, um, when God talks about how you can't be with Gentiles, it's in terms of the religious sense. But um, it has nothing to do in terms of ethnicity because the Israelites, this means that, uh, you know, after it sends up it everyone else, they're not pure Jews. They're not 100% Jews. There's all there's always some sort of mixed they're not, yeah, they're not 100%. Uh, so when they say Israel or Jews, they, they mean in terms of the covenant relationship war. It's, it's the religion, basically. Verse 21, we're jumping down a little bit. This is the sons of Israel, Korah, and Nephah, and Zizgroth. This is actually very interesting uh, because Korah, if you know in the book of Numbers, he's the one who rebels. In number Numbers 16, he, Korah rebels, and he rebels because he says, why do you get to lead us? And he actually gives... A, a legal defense in a sense like he tells them like i'm from the same bloodline that you are i can lead and that's actually true he can actually leave because he can prove that he is from the same bloodline as noah and uh, not noah, and noah uh, as moses and aaron so this is just a really cool foreshadowing that like it lays to the ground that what's is to come uh, again this is written around the time when um, you know moses was about to die like he this is, he's writing this as a 120-year-old and he knows that the people that died um, when in the wilderness, or some of them are are part of the, David, uh, are part of the Levitical line. Uh, jumping down to verse twenty-five, Aaron's son Eleazar married one of the daughters of Putel, and she bore him Phineas. Phineas is also, is also going to be a familiar figure because he comes up in Judges chapter twenty, uh, verse twenty-eight. Uh, this, is, this is the grandson of Aaron, and basically, the time of the judges uh, it wasn't that far off from uh, end of Deuteronomy or even the being of joshua so it's like this all like part of chronological order and um and even for phineas like if you i'll actually refer you to the sermon that we preached for Joanne heirs and judges 20 you can get more of the story of what happened then but phineas was, was, was yeah he was just one of these faithful individuals um that you know that that saw the sin of benjamin and wanted to go against it verse 26 it was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said Bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their host. So this is again showing that this whole bloodline links it to them, so that they have credentials to say, like, "Hey, the God that uh, that we all worship is the same God, and I'm from, I am of your people. That everything they're saying is true." Um, verse twenty-seven: They were not the ones; uh, they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now it came about on the on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying I am the Lord speak to Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I all that I speak to you but Moses said before the Lord behold I am unskilled in speech how then will Pharaoh listen to me So this sounds almost like hey didn't you just read this earlier in verse 10 to 12 yeah this is kind of like the end of that commercial break like and this is like in the last before a commercial break, and then this is kind of just a review, a reminder to the reader of what just happened. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all I commanded you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, and that he, and that he let the sons of Israel go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt when Pharaoh does not listen to you. And I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgment. And Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So this is, again, God is warning them. He's saying, I will do this. And this is God giving them... just. Assurance that don't you don't have to worry. I will take care of you. Just do as I say, and the, you and all of you will believe. Even like I mean, he'll harden Pharaoh's heart, and and he won't believe. But the all the, the Israelites they they're going to be people to see um, how great and wonderful God is and His power, and their and that should have gave them faith as they crossed the Red Sea and into the wilderness. But we'll see. Even though with all ten of these miracles. Um, these Egyptians, if you, you know, if we study Book of Numbers, they want out. Actually, no, it doesn't even take all those numbers. Actually, we just get after we get to later down in, in Exodus, you'll see that that happens. Verse six. So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. Thus they said, Moses was eighty years old. <laughs> thus they did. Moses was eighty years old and Aaron eighty three when they spoke to Pharaoh, which I thought was kind of cool because first of all, we all assume that prince of Egypt is the, like as an acrid. Acrypt- depiction of him or the uh charles heston film both of them are wrong he's like 80 years old he's really old and aaron is actually his older brother um so it just kind of gives you um some perspective of where things are and as it's interesting reading this because you know moses writing back about his life this was 40 years ago from his perspective he's writing this like 40 years later he still remembers these things vividly because he he knows and this is like major part of his life and just seeing the first encounter of Yahweh all the to now. So he remembers these things. He pens it as a way for Israel to remember it as well. Verse 8. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Now this is a familiar one because... Moses and Aaron did this earlier to the Israelites, and they like believed, right? That he did all these different signs, and they the Israelites believe. Now he's using the same type of thing uh, on the on on Pharaoh, and it doesn't work. Uh, verse ten. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his serp- and his servants, and it became a serpent fear also called for the wise men the sorcerers and they also the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts in 2 Timothy 4 it talks about it actually gives a name to these individuals um, is, or let me, let me jump very quickly to explain kind of what they were um, they're uh, and Jambries. It's in Second uh, Timothy 3.8. Just as Janice and Jambries opposed Moses, these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly it will be obvious to all. Just as Janice and Jambres' folly was also. Now, these are the. Like, it doesn't say the name here, but there must be some sort of oral tradition that got, that you, know, you, as a reader, will know. Uh, I mean, I mean the original readers like they they knew who this were, who these individuals were. So they connected back to this, and uh, you know Paul wrote that, so he must really know who, because you know, was like a, the best uh, Jewish student, and uh, they you know, they did this uh, they did this seemingly miraculous thing, and it said what well, their secret arts, and it could be demonic or it could be just like you know what we think of magic in terms of like, you know david copperfield or david blaine kind of thing or you know those magicians it's like that they they might know something but what's interesting about the there's moses aaron's is this for each one threw down his staff and they turned to serpents but aaron aaron's staff swallowed up their staff which is again a foreshadowing of what's going to happen um and that like god is going to level all of these magicians to the point where Want, they will give up, and that's where in Second Timothy says, "Yeah, they're going to be shown their folly because there's they could only do so much in terms of copying or even imitating, but there's a limit to their abilities." Verse 13: Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Again, this was part of God's divine plan that they will do all these miracles, and um, and Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. Again, even, everything here is all part of divine. promise. God said that you're going to do all these miracles. They're not going to let you go, and I'm going to harden his heart. And so we actually see multiple miracles going on. We see the snake thing happening. We see the snake eating the other snake and then turning back into a stick, a staff. And then we see Pharaoh, his heart becomes hardened and does not let the people go. Everything that Moses and Aaron seeing playing out before their eyes is exactly what God told them to do. And as we look at this week, we're going to just look at how judgment is going to be what judgment is like in the eyes of the Lord. That one, uh, judgment is connected to things of the past, and two, judgment is connected to things of the future. And we're going to look at these two as um, as we uh, go out this week. Next week and starting next week, I guess we're going to go through the ten plagues. So. Uh, but this is actually, there's a, although there's 10 plagues, there's actually 11 signs, and this is the first of the 11. This is kind of like a teaser, with the little snake thing. Um, but I look forward to going through this study with you, and I hope that this will encourage you to trust in the Lord and not um, doubt Him, but know that He does not compromise and that she gives assurance in the faith. Thanks for listening. Take care, and have a good day. <laughs>